The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 122 Strange Allies One large garden was not enough for the king of Israel. Ahab lusted after the beautiful vineyard of his neighbor Naboth. After he tried unsuccessfully to purchase the plot of land, Jezebel told her husband she would get it for him. Generally, Jezebel wasn't helpful to anyone. However, she couldn't bear to watch her husband's weakness with Naboth. Jezebel's plan was ruthless and wicked. Immediately after leaving the teary-eyed king's bedroom, she removed herself to her own room. Seated at her desk, the queen wrote letters to the elders of the city. Deceitfully, she signed them with King Ahab's name and sealed them with the king's seal so the elders would believe they were from the king himself. In the letters, she directed the nobles of the city, First, I want you to proclaim a fast in the city and tell the people that a terrible crime has been committed by one of your citizens. Jezebel wrote, pretending to be Ahab. Then, go and find Naboth and bring him to the town square and place him on trial. You shall find some people from among you to accuse Naboth of blasphemy against God and the king. Once Naboth is convicted of the crime, carry him out of the city and stone him to death. Sealing the letters, Jezebel dispatched the royal couriers. The elders of the city responded rapidly, knowing that disobeying the king put their own lives at risk. By the next day, they had proclaimed a fast and convened a town meeting. Immediately, they put Naboth on trial. Why am I here? Naboth demanded. Because you have blasphemed against the king, shouted one of the accusers. Yes, another in the crowd yelled. Yesterday, I was walking by your vineyard and heard you shouting out profane insults against King Ahab. That is preposterous, stated Naboth. I have never said an evil word against God or the king. Nevertheless, said one of the elders officiating the trial, two witnesses say otherwise. In accordance with our law, you shall be put to death. Bind him and lead him out of the city, the elder commanded. It was no use struggling as the large crowd infested with Baal worshippers encircled Naboth. 
clutching him with their hands. The people dragged him to an open field outside the city and there stoned the innocent man. Soon afterward, the elders sent a message to the palace to announce Naboth's death. Intercepting the news, the queen skipped across the palace to tell Ahab. It is done! The queen told Ahab as she entered the room. What is done? Ahab sadly responded as he lay on his bed, still upset about not acquiring the vineyard. Naboth's vineyard is yours for the taking. I have seen to it. Jezebel smugly replied. What? How? demanded Ahab as he rose to his feet. Naboth was tried and then stoned for blasphemy this morning. Answered Jezebel. Ahab was startled by the news of Naboth's death, but didn't want to know the details. He had long known that when Jezebel said she would get something done, she would follow through using any means possible. But what about his relatives? Don't they have first right to his property? Ahab asked. Don't worry about them. Jezebel responded with a smirk. I don't think they will be claiming the land anytime soon. Indicating that they were either too afraid to oppose the king or perhaps were put to death as well. Rather than correct his wife for her treachery and without showing the slightest regret for having caused the death of an innocent man simply to have his personal lusts fulfilled, Ahab went along. With the matter settled, he left the palace for a stroll through his newly expanded gardens. Ahab illogically justified his acquisition of the property because it was Jezebel who had concocted the insidious plot to kill Naboth, not him. Yet in God's eyes, Ahab was fully to blame for Naboth's murder. The king knew what his wife had done and did nothing about it. God would not let him get away with it. That evening, as the waning sun warmed his back, King Ahab walked through his new property. His mind was full of grand plans of how he would include the vineyard as part of the royal estate. His thoughts were far from the murdered Naboth. Are you sure this vineyard was worth the high price you paid for it? spoke a voice from behind the king. Ahab quickly wheeled around and made out the figure of a man through the sunlight. How, how did you get past my guards? Ahab uneasily questioned. I have been sent by the God of Israel. The man responded. King Ahab raised his right hand to block out the sun so he could discern who was speaking. Ahab recognized the man as Elijah the prophet. You have found me, my enemy, he said. That's right. Elijah responded. And I am here to tell you that the price you have paid for this land is much higher than you would like. What do you mean? I didn't pay a single thing for this vineyard, Ahab replied. 
You may not have paid anything yet. Elijah continued. But I prophesy to you that just as dogs licked up the innocent blood of Naboth, so too shall dogs lick up your own blood. Though you acquired his vineyard without money, you shall pay for it with your life. The prophet's pronouncement froze Ahab. While the king didn't follow the laws of God, he knew from previous experience that whatever Elijah the prophet said eventually came to pass. But Elijah was not yet done with his message from God. Also, since you have witnessed so many of God's miracles and yet have still led Israel into sin, God will cut off your family line. Just as the line of Jeroboam the son of Nebat was cut off, yours also will end. God has given you so many opportunities to repent, yet you have refused to change your terrible ways. As for your wicked wife that has led you deeper into idolatry, dogs won't just lick up her blood, but they shall eat her flesh as well. Ahab had nothing to say to God's prophet. He knew enough of God's law to know that what he was doing was wrong. Ahab left the prophet in the vineyard and slunk back the palace, deeply sobered by the message. Once alone in his chambers, he closed the door and collapsed on the floor, <laughs> weeping and groaning. Ahab rolled around, tearing his clothes in two. The king of Israel was starting to regret his terrible actions. For the next few days, Ahab refused any of the food that was brought to him. He dressed in sackcloth, in a sign of repentance and humility. His state of mind was different from anything he had experienced before. He thought back on the many times God had intervened in his life, such as with the two miraculous victories over the powerful Syrian army. He also remembered the time he was on Mount Carmel and witnessed the powerful miracle of God sending fire from heaven to consume Elijah's sacrifice. Yet, through it all, he knew that he had not truly turned to God, but instead continued to follow his wicked wife in sin. Finally, after her patience with Ahab's depression ran out, Jezebel approached her husband. Get up off the floor! You have moped around this palace enough! Don't worry about what that old prophet of Israel tells you. He doesn't know what he's talking about. If you don't get up and come to your senses, I'll have to start ruling Israel. I think that you've been doing too much of that already, Ahab quietly replied. He refused to look Jezebel in the eyes, so completely missing the angry glare Jezebel directed toward him. After a few moments of silence, Jezebel finally stomped out of his room, slamming the door behind her. At that time, the prophet Elijah received another message from God 
God told Elijah that while Ahab had not fully repented of his wicked deeds, he was displaying a new level of humility. Because of his humility, I will not bring the evil upon his family in his lifetime. Instead, I will delay the punishment until after his days. Sure enough, the next few years in the land of Israel were free from war. Throughout the miserable reign of Ahab in the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah experienced peace and prosperity as a result of obedience to God's laws. Following the death of Asa, King Jehoshaphat ascended to the throne. He destroyed all the pagan influences and idols that were built by previous wicked kings. He also constructed strong fortifications throughout the land and trained soldiers to be stationed in them, even as far north as the land of Ephraim, in land that his father had taken from the king of Israel decades earlier. News of the wealth, fame, and strength of Judah spread throughout the region. Kings of the Philistines to the west and Arabians to the south voluntarily brought gifts and paid tribute to Jehoshaphat, such as silver, rams, and goats, in order to persuade him not to fight against them. During these years of abundance, Jehoshaphat focused on educating the Jews according to the laws of God. He sent many of his princes and Levites to different parts of the kingdom to instruct the people out of the book of the law. It was also during his reign that the schools of the prophets thrived under Elijah's tutelage. God was indeed happy with King Jehoshaphat and blessed the kingdom of Judah accordingly. However, King Jehoshaphat made one big mistake. During this period of plenty, the king of Judah started to become friendlier toward the kingdom of Israel, even though God was against Israel because of its sins. Jehoshaphat made peace with the wicked king Ahab. Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, the future king of Judah, even married Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. God was not happy with this marriage and it would mean disaster for Judah in the future. After a few years went by, King Jehoshaphat traveled north with his entourage on a diplomatic mission to the capital of Samaria. King Ahab prepared a massive feast to celebrate his arrival with many sheep and oxen killed for the Judean traveling party. Late in the evening, after the celebration had died down, Ahab spoke across the banquet table in more serious terms to Jehoshaphat. 
It's been three years since the king of Syria has fought against me, but I fear that he shall be coming again soon. Ahab spoke to the king of Judah. But more than that, Ahab continued, the Syrians still occupy Ramoth-Gilead and the land east of the Jordan River that Benadad had promised to give back to me. Well, why don't you go and take it back? Jehoshaphat asked the king. You have already beaten him twice before in battle. Surely you can do it again. I'm not sure that I have an army large enough to come against him, Ahab said leadingly. However, if I had command of your magnificent fighting force, I'm sure that we could be victorious. Jehoshaphat now realized why Ahab had invited him up to Samaria. So you want to use my army? Jehoshaphat asked as he pushed his plate away and leaned back on his chair. Yes. Don't you think it would be mutually beneficial for both of us? to have the land east of the Jordan River, free of Syrians, Ahab said. With our combined armies, Benadad would be no match for us. King Jehoshaphat looked down into his cup of wine. After a few moments, he raised his eyes toward Ahab and said, I am as you are, and my people are your people. We are brothers. We will go with you to war. Ahab's face immediately lit up with the prospect of regaining his land. But Jehoshaphat continued, However, before we go to war with you, we must first see if it is God's will. It doesn't matter how big the fighting force is. If God isn't behind it, we will not be victorious. Of course, I wholeheartedly agree, Ahab said, nodding his head. I'll see to it tomorrow. With that, the two Israelite leaders got up from the table and went to their living quarters. Before he went to bed, Ahab dispatched one of his servants to track down some prophets and summon them to the palace court in Samaria. The next morning, Ahab awoke to the echoing hum of hundreds of men talking. Recognizing the noise in his throne room, he knew the prophets had arrived. Ahab quickly dressed and walked down the long corridor toward the noise. Along the way, within the hallway, Ahab met up with the king of Judah, who had also been awakened by the crowd. Why are there so many people in your palace so early in the morning? Jehoshaphat asked as they walked together down the corridor. Well, you asked to know God's will, so I rounded up all of my prophets overnight to help us determine it, replied Ahab. What do you mean, all of your prophets? A confused Jehoshaphat asked as they rounded the final corner before the throne room. Before Ahab could answer the king of Judah, trumpets sounded, and the two kings entered the throne room to see 400 men bowing before them. These were not true prophets of God, but rather Jezebel's 400 prophets of the groves who had escaped the death penalty when they failed to answer Elijah's summons to Mount Carmel. Prophets, 
Ahab started to address the men. I have brought you here to determine whether God wants me to take Ramoth Gilead from the Syrians with our armies. Knowing that Ahab wanted to go to war, the prophets of Baal knew better than to go against the king's wishes. After a few formalities, they responded, Go up, for God will deliver Ramoth Gilead into your hand. That is fantastic news, Ahab spoke out. As he turned his back on the prophets and exited the room with Jehoshaphat, after the doors closed behind them, Jehoshaphat spoke up. Is there not a single prophet of God in Israel that we might inquire of him instead of these prophets of your wife? Immediately, Ahab felt guilty and a little foolish for inviting all the prophets of Baal. He should have known that Jehoshaphat could easily recognize a pagan prophet. However, Ahab had thought it was worth a try. Well, there is one man, Ahab responded rather sheepishly, but I don't like him. He always prophesies evil things and never positive things. His name is Micaiah. You shouldn't say such things, Ahab, stated Jehoshaphat. If he is a man of God, he is who we should speak with, regardless of whether he gives you the answer you want to hear. Conceding, Ahab quickly sent a messenger to find Micaiah and summon him to the palace for immediate consultation. In the meantime, Ahab organized some festivities at the main entrance to the city of Samaria. There he set up two thrones high above the thoroughfare, one for himself and one for Jehoshaphat. From their lofty perches, the kings watched a display of music and dances, as well as military games, as part of Ahab's efforts to impress Jehoshaphat. Partway through the festivities, the false prophets, all arrayed in similar outfits, started to sway back and forth, chanting together, Go up to Ramoth Gilead, and you shall prosper. Go up to Ramoth Gilead, and you shall prosper. The Lord shall deliver you. The Lord shall deliver you. One of the false prophets, wearing a large, iron-horned helmet, charged headfirst out of the center of the group, shouting, With these horns, you shall push at the Syrians till you have consumed them. It was a crude attempt to dramatically portray the victory Israel and Judah would have. Ahab hoped his guests would be moved by the performance. Jehoshaphat was moved, but not in the way Ahab had hoped. The perverted music, corrupt dancing, and false prophets started to get on his nerves. Just as Jehoshaphat was about to stand, a man boldly walked up through the middle of the crowd of prophets. The false prophets jeered at the man, recognizing him as the true prophet Micaiah. As Micaiah approached, Ahab recognized him as well. After silencing the crowd, Ahab called out with a loud voice, Micaiah, what does God say we should do? Go and prosper, Micaiah answered. God shall deliver Ramoth Gilead into your hand. Immediately,
immediately, both kings stood up from their thrones, shocked at Micaiah's proclamation. Neither of them expected that response from the prophet of God. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the resources tab at pcg.church. Thank you.